0: This passage is taken from Bram Stoker's Dracula. You are clever, man, friend John. You reason well, and your wit is bold, but you are too prejudiced. You do not let your eyes see, nor your ears hear, and that which is outside your daily life is not of account to you. Do you not think that there are things which you cannot understand, and yet which are, that some people see things that others cannot. But there are things old and new which must not be contemplated by men's eyes, because they know, or think they know, some things which other men have told them. Ah, it is the fault of our science that it wants to explain it all, and if it explain not, then it says there is nothing to explain. But yet we see around us every day the growth of new beliefs, which think themselves new, and which are yet but the old, which pretend to be young, like the fine ladies at the opera. I suppose now you do not believe in corporal transference. No. Nor in materialization. No. Nor in astral bodies. No. Nor in the reading of thought. No. Nor in hypnotism. Yes, I said. Charcot had proved that pretty well. He smiled as he went on. Then you are satisfied as to it, yes? And, of course, then you understand how it acts and can follow the mind of the great Charcot, alas that he is no more, into the very soul of the patient that he influences. No? Then, friend John, am I to take it that you simply accept fact and are satisfied to let from premise to conclusion to be a blank? No? Then tell me, for I am a student of the brain, how you accept the hypnotism and reject the thought reading. Let me tell you, my friend, that there are things done today in electrical science which would have been deemed unholy by the very men who discovered electricity, who would themselves not so long before have been burned as wizards. There are always mysteries in life. Why was it that Methuselah lived 900 years and old Parr 169, and yet that poor Lucy, with four men's blood in her poor veins, could not live even one day? For had she lived one more day, we could have saved her. Do you know all the mystery of life and death? Do you know the altogether of comparative anatomy, and can say wherefore the qualities of brutes as in some men and not in others? Can you tell me why, when other spiders die small and soon, that one great spider lived for centuries in the tower of the old Spanish church, and grew and grew till on descending he could drink the oil of all the church lamps? Can you tell me why in the pampas, I and elsewhere, there are bats that come at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry their veins? How in some islands of the western seas there are bats which hang on the trees all day, and those who have seen described are like giant nuts or pods, and that when the sailors sleep on the deck, because that it is hot, flit down on them, and then in the morning are found dead men, white as even Miss Lucy was. "'Good God, Professor,' I said, starting up. "'Do you mean to tell me that Lucy was bitten by such a bat "'and that such a thing is here in London in the 19th century?' "'He waved his hand for silence and went on. "'Can you tell me why the tortoise lives more long than generations of men, "'why the elephant goes on and on until he has seen dynasties, "'and why the parrots never die, "'only of bite of cat or dog or other complaints? "'Can you tell me why men believe in all ages and places that there are some few who live on always if they be permit, that there are men and women who cannot die? We all know because science has vouched for the fact that there have been toads shut up in rocks for thousands of years, shut in one so small hole that they only hold him since the youth of the world. Can you tell me how the Indian fakir can make himself to die and then have been buried and his grave sealed and corn sowed on it and then corn reaped and be cut and sown and reaped and cut again and then men come and take away the unbroken seal and that there lie the Indian fakir, not dead but that rise and walk amongst them as before? Here I interrupted him. I was bewildered. He's so crowded on my mind, his list of natures, eccentricities, and possible impossibilities, that my imagination was getting fired. I had a dim idea that he was teaching me some lesson, as long ago he used to do in his study at Amsterdam. But he used them to tell me the thing, so that I could have the object of thought in mind all the time. But now I was without his help, yet I wanted to follow him, so I said, Professor, let me be your pet student again. Tell me the thesis, so that I may apply your knowledge as you go on. At present, I am going in my mind from point to point as a madman, and not a sane one follows an idea. I feel like a novice lumbering through a bog in a mist, jumping from one tussock to another, and the mere blind effort to move on without knowledge of where I am going. That is a good image, he said. Well, I shall tell you. My thesis is this. I want you to believe. To believe what? To believe in things that you cannot. Let me illustrate. I once heard of an American who was so defined faith that the faculty which enables us to believe things which we know to be untrue. For one, I followed that man. He meant that we shall have an open mind and not let a little bit of truth check the rush of a big truth, like a small rock does a railway truck. We get that small truth first good we keep him and we value him but all the same we must not let him think
1: himself all the truth in the universe welcome to musings on monsters myth and meaning i'm eric blauer and this is my co-host john and we're excited to continue this project with an episode on vampires Tonight, we're also joined by John's wife, Anna, as well. Hello.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: Yeah, I'm
0: really excited to do this episode. Um, I think that vampires in American culture are one of the most recognizable monsters that still kind of are in our zeitgeist today.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think as we'll see from what we're talking about tonight, there'll be interesting um, differences in what attracted all of us maybe individually to this theme in our history and our entertainment and different things probably that bring this up in our own hearts and minds. But um, I don't think anybody can um, not agree that there. this is a pretty prominent monster, and myth, and story, and historical uh, background in in p- popular Western and even beyond Western culture.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's interesting, and I think the first thing we should explore is that this isn't something new. This isn't something that when Bram Stoker wrote his novel uh, 130 years ago or so, uh, that suddenly was a new idea that burst onto the scene, but um, vampires or blood drinking undead of some sort have been with us throughout thousands of years of human history. Um, it, it goes back into, um, the ancient Sumerian, ancient Egyptian, um, ancient Hebrew, uh, cultures, and even like from as far flung as China and, uh, Western Europe. And, uh, there's even legends, um, from native American peoples. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting mm-hmm. that, that this is one of those universal myths. Yeah. Almost.
2: Yeah. It's everywhere. And there's so, what I love about the legend and the lore behind vampires is that it's so diverse. Hmm. Uh, it's not just three defining characteristics um, in all the historical, you know, accountings or, you know, pop culture, movies, books, things like that. Um, Each vampire takes on its own flavor, if you will, um, of, you know, its power, its characteristics. And I think that is one of the things that kind of helps draw everyone to this, this mystery that is the vampire, you know?
0: yeah Yeah, what were some of the like when we talk about like the ancient vampire lore what what were the ancient legends that stood out to you guys the most
2: uh well i have to go uh, truly traditional in my opinion um when i think vampire in history i think vlad the impaler uh, I think that's just one of the most well-known historical vampiric, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula is based on the history. Uh, and it's interesting, he was alive from 1431 to 1467. Um, and there's just so many things within this legend where uh, his family name means dragon, and when it's translated, it can be um, the devil. Uh, it, there's the stories of, you know, his just brutal bloodlust and ruthlessness of the way that he fought in battle. Uh, One of his largest wins for the Empire uh, started two hours after sundown and went till just before morning. And that was one of the big starts of the myth where, you know, he fought at night. You know, it was that mystery, it was that bloodlust and that just power uh that came with his his lore and it's interesting because even after his death he's still touted as a hero to people of that area um he did die yes he died i'm sorry everyone um <laughs> and he was buried he in a He didn't come two. back after death <laughs> he did not that we know of. <laughs> <laughs> that we know of um and i mean he was buried in a church um you know one of the most brutal characters in history Um, but because of what he did for his people you know he's a hero uh, which I thought was just so interesting.
0: Hmm. Yeah yeah what about you Eric what do you think is uh, one of those ancient stories that has always stood out Mm -hmm. to you?
1: Yeah you know I didn't come into the vampire mythos until I got involved in Dungeons and Dragons when Mm -hmm. I was in junior high a while back ago. So Uh,
0: Strahd von Zerevich. uh, (laughs) Yeah, Castle Ravenloft is Castle
1: Ravenloft was probably the first where I started (laughs) exploring those kind of things. Um most of my associations were connected with probably the traditions of connecting demonic uh entities whether Persian background, mm-hmm. kind of blood drinking demons, this kind of stuff. So a lot of my understanding and interest was kind of around that. Kind of where did this arise? I've always been interested in uh, angels and demons and mm-hmm. the you know the stories that kind of associate like where these things come from, and then where do our monsters, where do mythical creatures come from, where do Deities and Greek mythology, you know, all this kind of origin stuff. So for me, it's kind of the same thing. Like, where did this fascination and storytelling arise Mm -hmm. related to these type of themes, that uh, immortality and a number that we're going to break into?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the oldest culture that you know, we're aware of um, that refers to these like, blood-drinking entities was the Persians. And, uh, but you also find that with the Egyptians and uh, the ancient Hebrews um, in ancient Greece and Rome, uh, even as far-flung as um, China and the, the Slavic tribes, and um, there, there's even traditions uh, from uh, Native American cultures as well, and, and it is interesting that it is one of those universal myths. I found it, I found it super interesting, though, that the, the word vampire, though, is a relatively modern term. Um, that, that comes from the more Eastern European, uh, mythologies. Um, and originally these were more looked at like, um, demons or, or demonic figures that would prey on, on people at night and, um, drink their blood. Um, in, uh, uh, what, what's interesting is, uh, in, um, Hebrew culture, uh, that uh, we we've all heard that that story of Lilith um, as a as a demonic entity, uh, as uh, in some Hebrew legends, you know, this was Adam's first wife before before Eve, uh, and that she w- was looked at as this like female shape shifting blood drinking demon who was said to roam the night among the population seeking victims. Um, and that, that was like, even, even though like in the Hebrew culture, like that's like centered around Lilith, there's a very similar story there that was spread universally amongst like ancient Babylonian and Assyrian and Persian and and Egyptian Cultures, even like Greco Roman mythology describes the, and I'm probably butchering <laughs> the, the pronunciation here, but the Empusa and the Lamia and the Mormo, as well as the Striges, which is interesting because uh, I think Eastern European um, traditions referred to a specific type of vampire being the Strigoi. Um, and I think that that term is actually used in. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula mm-hmm. as well so you can see that like in that novel it's borrowing from ancient, ancient history um, and uh, there was this figure Empuza who is the daughter of the goddess Hecate who is described as a demonic bronze-footed creature. She feasted on blood by transforming into a young woman and seduced men as they slept before drinking the blood and then the the Lamia were different, um, vampiric creatures that preyed on young children in their beds at night, sucking their blood. Um, and the Striges, um, which I think that term like morphed into the Strigoi, uh, feasted on children, but also preyed on adults. And they, they were described as having bodies of crows or birds in general, um, And that was later like kind of incorporated into Roman mythology uh, as the Strix, which were a kind of nocturnal bird that fled on human flesh and blood. And I have to wonder if that's kind of what turned into some of like the legends of um, Dracula being able to like turn into a bat Mm. or or something and, and fly around. So yeah, it's interesting. That's what's always fascinated me about this is how widespread these legends are
1: mm-hmm. yeah and the. i mean i was just thinking about how illusions and different pieces of uh, even ritual and religion and you mentioned the hebrews i i was thinking how you know just the imagery of you know a hebrew in the passover s- hunkering down in the house, putting blood on the outside of the doors because something dark and devilish and and powerful is coming through to kill. Mm -hmm. I mean, this kind of just plays again into that psyche of that human fear or that human uh, sense that there's something out there powerful that wants me, and somehow blood is always in this kind of place. Then I was also thinking not to... Play the one ho- one horse pony, but in the Odyssey uh-huh. um, there's that fascinating part where Odysseus wants to go into the underworld and 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 talk to people, but the way he has to do this is uh, this ritual that is given by the goddess, and one part of it is he's got to put blood in this trench and when the spectres from the underworld drink that. They become corporeal and mm-hmm. start to come into the realm that he's in. Mm-hmm. And eventually he gets freaked out because more and more are wanting to do that and come in. And he ends up, you know, fleeing. But this, again, this idea of like, if I drink this, that realm between mortality or the mortal realm and immortality, like something can pass through. Yeah. Again, playing on this theme that's very familiar.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because um so like the ancient myths were more of like a, a demonic uh, spiritual almost entity, but when you get into some of the the European lore, um the in British legend, um there's legends of revenants essentially that are um individuals who have died and come back to life. Uh or um like the old Norse Draugr, you you know, Mm -hmm. um, that is so popularized today in games like Skyrim, you know, Mm -hmm. as you're like going through these like dungeons and there's these undead Mm -hmm. things that, that would wake up. um, And we, we see like from that within Europe, we start to see some of like the earliest like examples of vampires like kind of uh, approaching the the time frame of uh vlad the impaler um in this is within um Nipalak's chronicle from the 14th century uh so written around um 1360 uh from the year 1336 uh, it mentioned a shepherd named uh mislata from blov uh he died and was buried but didn't stay in the grave and then each evening he walked around and spoke to people as if being alive and was scaring them. Soon he supposedly started killing people. And if he stopped by someone's home and called their name, that said person died in eight days. Huh yikes so the people of that village uh in this account like decided to exhume his body and burn the body and during that process he supposedly let out a loud scream someone stabbed him with a stick and a lot of blood came out of the wound Hmm. and after he burned all of the evil events stopped Hmm. and there there's other there's other accounts that Mm -hmm. kind of like are are similar to that Mm -hmm. um And and a lot of times people like poo-poo those those ideas Mm -hmm. and say like, oh, well, people were just superstitious and Mm -hmm. didn't understand the phases that bodies go through as they decompose. And like sometimes when a body's in the ground, uh, Mm -hmm. it can appear fat for a while as the um
2: gases as and, the,
0: and, yeah. and juices mm-hmm. and you know everything yeah. like the the decomposition process and maybe blood comes out of their mouth and their mm-hmm. face looks fresh and stuff and mm-hmm. um and or like other times like there might be um i, I was watching this one documentary where it uh linked um Oh my goodness! I'm blanking on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lung disease, um, tuberculosis, tuberculosis, consumption. Thing- or consumption. Yes. It, you know, it links that with mm-hmm. like the vampire legends. But what's fascinating to me about like a lot of these is this isn't a legend that stayed in ancient times or uh, or like kind of in the the medieval era. Mm-hmm. This is something that actually transcended the Renaissance into the enlightenment mm-hmm. after Christianity had unpaganized Europe um, after the secular humanistic ideas, you know, kind of came to like full growth mm-hmm. in, in the enlightenment and belief actually like in the um, 17 and 18 hundreds and vampires actually exponentially grew in culture which is fascinating because these aren't um medieval men and women anymore yeah. Yeah. um and even like a lot of our modern sciences were were being invented and and in our, in our arrogance today because we have things like podcast microphones <laughs> and and MacBook pros and everything like we can, we can think that we're smarter than people who were living a few hundred years before us when in reality, like often our technology today has become a crutch and these, these men four or 500 years ago were vastly smarter than we were. They were discovering all the things that we now benefit from. Hmm. And yet vampire belief persisted into that time.
1: Yeah. To such a degree, if I remember correctly, like where they were actually building metal uh, enclosures over graves, so uh-huh. that if something mm-hmm. came out, they yep. would have that. I mean that that kind of stuff fascinates me. Oh, uh, I, I always still want to find one of those vampire hunting suitcases yes. that have all the stuff oh, in them. Like that'd from be awesome. well, those are out there. Yeah, I mean, well, they're hard. They manufactured to find. most of them, but right finding, like. I mean, just the thought that there that was so real that they would put together kind yeah, of like a bug out bag. Yeah, people would be like, bag. all
2: right, I guess.
1: <laughs> so this story was
0: fascinating to me. In 1597, King James, who we have our King James Bible from today, wrote a dissertation on witchcraft uh, titled... Uh, demonology in which he wrote about the belief that demons could possess the living and the dead Uh, within his classifications of demons. He explained the concept through the notion that incubi and succubi could possess the corpse of the deceased and walk the earth as a devil borrows a dead body. It would seem so visibly and naturally to any man who converses with them that any substance within the body would remain intolerably cold though to others, which they abuse. 1652. Uh, this is the Wallachian Voivode, which, uh, that's who Vlad the Impaler was. Uh, voivode is, a um, uh, like a Hungarian or, a Romanian, um, Noble rank. Uh, they passed the first law that mentioned the belief in vampires. This was the Romanian strigoi, um, where the paragraph contains the opinion and recommendation of the patriarch um, in that area that said the deceased, which they will learn to be a strigoi, which is called. Uh, and oh my gosh, I'm gonna butcher this. V- v- uh what needs to be done um and it says like i've heard in many cities and towns it said some dreadful things being done which are below praise and great foolishness and lack of knowledge of people over the work of the devil for that our enemy the most unclean the devil where he finds an empty place to dwell and do his will there he indeed dwells and many times with deceiving apparitions towards lots of bad deeds he lures the people and leads them towards his will in order that every wretch people like them to, to sink and drown in the depth of damnation of the eternal fire. There are some foolish people that say that many times when people die, they rise and become strigoi and kill those alive, which death comes in a violent way and quick towards many people. And this patriarch then like goes on to describe many strigoi sightings um, as like demonic And it's interesting because what this law is, is it's not describing like a belief that these things are actual vampires, but the law actually forbids anyone, especially the clergy from desecrating the graves and burning (laughs) the bodies uh, of the dead, calling it a sin for which they'll end up in hell. Mm -hmm. So this must've been something in that period of time that, the average person like this belief was so entrenched in them that they were regularly engaged in in doing those things
2: yes Enough to so, where we have to get
0: law yeah right yeah stop yeah. stop staking the bodies and, and yes them. So, ruining
2: their their resting place so what year was that again john
0: uh so that was uh 1652 okay
2: so this is fantastic and it plays into one of my other favorites um and it's the legend well the history of mercy brown is her name Um, And she actually lived in the U.S. Uh, She died in 1892 in Rhode Island. And it's an interesting story. Um, Her father, Edwin, uh, was sickly. He traveled to Colorado, came back, uh, and they lived in a tiny town in Rhode Island. And we now know he had tuberculosis or consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, You cough up blood, and it's very transmittable. So the whole family gets sick. And nobody knows why. And so she loses her mother. Her dad's still hanging on. She loses her sister. All the family members are dead. And finally, Mercy dies. And the doctors are at a loss. They don't know what happened. And they, it's about 200 years after the Salem witch trials, and they turn to the whole nation, was obsessed with. The idea of vampire and the townspeople believed that the souls of mercy and her mother were likely caught between heaven and hell sucking the life out of their father from the grave and the only way to save him and put them to rest was to exhume the bodies uh so the clergy fought him on it but finally the townspeople exhumed the body mother had decomposed but mercy had died in the middle of winter and was in a crypt so when she was exhumed due to decomposition she looked flushed alive as if she could have risen and walked they ended up cutting out her heart cut out her lungs and actually burnt it on a pyre, made a paste, a, a drink, a smoothie, if you will, and fed it to Edwin, because that would be the only way to restore his body and put them to rest. Wow. And this is 1892 in America. Like, wow. people were still that crazy. And this happened, multi- there are 18 documented instances after that where suspected vampires between heaven and hell were, their bodies were exhumed, and the same thing was done over and over. So,
1: what? Yeah, I There's know, one, right?
2: Here's,
0: here's another one that's crazy. You've heard of Voltaire before, mm-hmm. right? So famous, like Enlightenment thinker, yes. not known for being religious at all. Like, if if anything, anti. The opposite. You know, anti. You know, reason. Science. This is <laughs> the age of reason. Um, so uh, there was uh, the this French theologian and scholar called Dom Augustine Calmet, who had written, um, he, he was essentially like a demonologist and, and studied these things. And, um, one of his, uh, numerous readers was the critical Voltaire, uh, who was supportive of, uh, Calmet's like treatises and, uh, Voltaire wrote in his philosophical dictionary, These vampires were corpses who went out of their graves at night to suck the blood of the living, either at their throats or stomachs, after which they returned to their cemeteries. The person so sucked waned, grew pale, and fell into consumption Mm -hmm. so there there's that like link to tuberculosis again um while the sucking corpses grew fat got rosy and enjoyed an excellent appetite (laughs) Um, it was in poland hungary silesia moravia austria and lorraine that the dead made this good cheer (laughs) <laughs> and that's the quote and it was interesting because the controversy of like this like during this time only ceased when the um, Austro-Hungarian Empress uh, Maria Theresa of Austria sent her personal physician uh, Gerald Van uh, Sweeten to investigate the the claims of these vampiric entities and he actually concluded that vampires did not exist and so the empress passed laws prohibiting the opening of graves and the desecration of the bodies Mm -hmm. sounding the end of what was termed the vampire epidemic
2: (laughs) that's crazy
0: so like all these things like these stories are just fascinating Mm -hmm. that that from ancient times into, like, the medieval era and mm-hmm. then into modern culture, the most mm-hmm. recent story that we shared there was only from 130 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and really, this is something that, like, has continued into modern uh, especially like American and and Western European mm-hmm. um, culture, you know especially like in the more of like Goth cultures that are out there, you know people complain or not complain they they claim to be vampires in some way shape or form and they need to consume blood to survive and the, mm-hmm. these are like living individuals that you know that are doing this there's obviously no proof of a like a, a bona fide undead, vampire mm-hmm. um out well, there rob zombie
1: <laughs> oh wait no, oh wait
0: yeah a yeah or
1: uh, abraham uh remember uh president uh, oh yeah there's that vampire abraham lincoln Hunt. vampire, vampire hunter, hunter? hunter movie that's yeah fantastic so anna movie. anna so loves all oh.
0: those like awful like oh, cheesy like, horror the
2: pride prejudice and
0: zombies <laughs> yeah that's yes. a, yeah well, that, yeah yeah that's where we get to our american
1: lore yeah we really get into the meat yeah well
0: like let's talk about um like some of those like fascinating superstitions that like have kind of pervaded into like modern culture so what do you guys think like you're most the ones that you're most intrigued by
2: gosh there are so many good ones um clearly i i tend to gravitate towards a bit more cheesy um i mean i think the original dracula i mean with Mm -hmm. keanu reeves and you know well
0: that's not the original well in my version for our generation
2: generation, like that's
1: the old school one yeah yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i think that's one of the one of the movies i've watched the most often um I
0: the epicness of that the epicness is and, amazing and Gary Oldman's acting
2: and mm-hmm. you know was oh, just phenomenal. Oh, so good! Um, I'm an anime person, so there are tr- ridiculous amounts of anime based on the vampire legend. But mm-hmm. um, there's one called Blood Plus that I watched the entire series, and um, just their take on it was so different because it wasn't anything evil. Um, it was, it was just like, this person was imbued with all this power and they were trying to manage it. And then they try to do good. And it was like trying to take this <laughs> dark theme and make it like happy with all this Japanese music behind it. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're still like eating people and they did Like, this is not, you can put the music behind it but it's still pretty dark what do
0: you think though like before like we talk more about like some of like the literature examples Mm -hmm. like what are like the superstitions that fascinated you
1: Mm. oh garlic (laughs) i mean what there's there's lots of you know the silver Mm -hmm. issues garlic the um the christian symbols being somehow Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, repellent. Air, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you could ward things off. Holy water, yeah. stakes,
0: to the the
2: mirrors, heart. mirrors, no reflection. Um,
0: running water.
2: Yeah, running water was. Yeah, one. like a
0: vampire can't cross running water. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I um, about that one. I love all the different ways that they can shape shift, whether it be bats or wolves or mist or um, or
0: backing into a corner with glowing eyes yes. and turning into a pile of rats.
2: <laughs> um yeah there are just so many awesome and I, I mean i gotta say the one i personally find cheesiest is the idea of stake through a heart because who's not gonna die if you get a stake through the heart like <laughs> that one seemed a little sad i'm like oh no you're yeah. all a vampire
1: yeah <laughs> And I, uh, An immortal is going to die from getting a wound through the... A flesh wound. I don't know. There's something... I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the... But that's not a universal one, though. No. Like, it's... Disc- so,
0: like, there's some cheesy examples of it, like, in, like, the show today, What We Do in the Shadows, where it's just, like, jab a stake in the heart and it instantly collapses. Um, but, like, other stories in The Stake of the Heart, like, that would only kill the vampire if it's in its resting place um, Mm -hmm. in its um, coffin coffin, Mm -hmm. or in the earth of uh, its burial place, you know, Mm -hmm. when, when the stake occurs. And often that's accompanied by decapitation, if not burning mm-hmm. you, you know yeah. uh, of the body um I, you've also heard stories like it, it can't just be any
1: stake it has to be like aspen wood or, mm-hmm. or yeah. something yeah. you know or, um, or the, if i remember like the shape of a cross i've seen that that kind of imagery too like mm-hmm. a holy wood like yeah you mm-hmm. know, there's another sacred kind of thing connected it's,
0: and it's interesting how, like, the vampire legend as well got so... Even though, like, it's something that... And maybe it's because um, Western civilization, uh, Christianity took over it. But uh, it's interesting how a myth that used to be more universal uh, in modern culture today is, is um, centered on its opposition to Christianity, where, um, you know referring to um, like Bram Stoker's Dracula in, in that, mm-hmm. that version that Frank uh, Coppola did uh, essentially the Turks um, shoot an arrow into uh, the castle and Dracula's wife sees that a lie that he had died and, mm-hmm. and kills herself. And the, the Orthodox priests are saying, well, of course she's in hell. She killed herself. And his response is, I have, defeated the turks for the christian god just so that my wife would be in hell and he he renounces god um and pledges basically uh in that that moment with the epic music going on in the Mm -hmm. background pledges his life to be an enemy of god that he'll rise from death and it's fascinating because you see the statue of mary like you know tears mm-hmm. of blood start coming out of the eyes and there's that there's that idea of blood again and mm-hmm. and it, it pours into uh what looks like the the communion cup or, or i guess in that tradition um for the for the eucharist and he he drinks the blood that came out of the statue of of the virgin mary uh and after dying, you know, according to the story, rises from, from death as, uh, like some kind of child of the devil Mm -hmm. at that point, you know, opposed to God. And that's where like all the stories of the, um,
1: aversion to the Christian symbols kind of come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So much we can get (laughs) to that. And I think at the closing, there's some connections to that. Yeah. I'd love to expand on more, but, There's still some material you wanted to. Do we going to look at some of the popular culture?
0: This will be a good segue into the popular culture from like the idea of like the Christian myth. Uh, One of Anna's favorite Dracula movies is Dracula Two Thousand, and it's interesting because Dracula in that wasn't only Vlad the Impaler, Mm -hmm. but was also Judas Iscariot, Mm -hmm. and and it's fascinating. So I, I did some research into that where. Um, and because that, that's a story like in pop culture, like that was also found in the librarian and Mm -hmm. in some, some other, um, stories and books, but, um, that's actually, uh, an ancient, um, Hebrew and Christian legend where, um, vampires had two separate beginnings. One form, uh, came from a creature from the ancient times, The Egyptians told a story much like a vampire that was said to have existed for thousands of years, but that other vampires descended from Judas. And there's this quote from Matthew chapter 27, verses three through five, where it says, then Judas, which had betrayed him, him being Jesus Christ, uh, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver. You know, there's that idea Mm -hmm. of silver there to the priests and elders. And he said, I've sinned and I've betrayed the most innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the story was that, um, essentially, God didn't allow, as punishment for betraying Christ, didn't allow Judas to die. But after he had hung himself, um, he uh, rose from death and uh, wandered the world. There was a a Catholic monk who wrote a book in in the ninth century that kind of details like how Judas was cursed hmm. this way. Kind of mm-hmm. Cain, yeah. Kind of, yeah, it, there, there is similarity yeah, there to is Cain, murder. you know, in this, and 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 Cain, you know, it was, um, according to Betrayed Christian his history, was the first murder, yeah, mm-hmm. essentially, and because of that, he was uh, God placed a mark on him, and and it's interesting because in other legends, like there has been stories of well, Cain became the first vampire, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and so there, there's that link there between like portraying God. And being cursed with undeath Hmm. Mm -hmm. and bloodlust. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I love that in Dracula 2000. It's interesting because the imagery, like they pull so much of it together when Dracula Judas finally dies, because she um, they're at a, a rooftop and. It's like all the things. She wraps a cable around his neck with a crucifix, throws him over the side of this he's, building. He
0: was hung from a giant crucifix that like yes. fell over.
2: Yes, and then.
0: Uh, and then he's hanging <laughs> there by his neck,
2: and he would have died. But then the sun the came sun up rises. And, oh, it was and fantastic.
0: Yeah. So have you seen that movie I before? Eric? Seen yeah. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it's,
2: good. Gerard Butler plays Dracula, okay. who I think is awesome. Yeah. So.
1: yeah. So, <laughs> the woman doesn't. Right. Yes, right. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's interesting because, like, um, here's where I want to go with, like, the literature conversation Mm -hmm. is this is a creature that murders people and drinks blood and is, like, historically for thousands of years, like, known as this demonic monster. Mm -hmm. And then something changes in the last hundred years or so where it's romantic. Mm -hmm. And sexy even and it uh it, it kind of like takes on this thing where uh and it, I feel like it started in Anne Rice's novels, mm-hmm. you know, Interview with the Vampire, uh Lestat and all yes. these you know all these stories where uh the vampire kind of is presented as like almost like a tragic hero. Yeah. Uh an interview with the vampire mm-hmm. uh lewis uh his characters kind of like you know presented that way mm-hmm. um and and then it, like it morphs into like a more recent iteration in our generation of the twilight um films mm-hmm. where and and this is where like i get up on my soapbox because it, the vampire isn't a vampire anymore it's a sparkling fairy yeah, that is. you know isn't killed uh, by sunlight but shines deer. Yeah, or or yeah, or like here's this creature, and it, it kind of mm-hmm. like takes on this like very like sadomasochistic vibe of yeah. Um, in the stories of like this teenage girl who has a crush on this boy, mm-hmm. uh, you know that I'm putting here in scare quotes. Yep. Um, and it describes him as like every fiber in him wants to kill her and drink her blood, but he's resisting that. Mm-hmm temptation and that makes him this like i don't know teenage hormonal like sexy hero yeah <laughs> type, type every father's nightmare every, yeah every, and well mother. and it's interesting because that's how it's presented in the mm-hmm. books like the, the father of the girl hates this guy yeah He's like trying to like forbid the daughter you know from going anywhere near this thing mm-hmm. um and uh, you know like often these things you know like want to kind of tear down you know the family values of like here's a father that loves his daughter and wants to protect her but dad's the repressive psycho mm-hmm. and the hero is the dude with the fangs that wants to drink her blood <laughs> yeah
1: it's a it is the um the biblical idea of demons turning into angels of light Mm -hmm. this idea of our culture turning these things that have certain roots and origins and and commonplace ideas into the good guys Mm -hmm. but you're right in and this fascinates me too and that's why i'm glad anna's here because there's a, a female perspective on some of this the love of the bad boy, the 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 fascination our culture has with um, things like uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, like mm-hmm. like violence, sexual violence, mm-hmm. or HBO's True, True Blood, Blood True which
0: Blood. I would not recommend any oh, no. any person watch. I'm too but, young to watch that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it is very violent, mm-hmm. but it portrays this like fascination with the bad boy mm-hmm. so
1: why in our culture where we secularly moralize violence against women we we talk a lot about rape culture we talk about uh, all the things about toxic, um, masculinity. Ma- toxic <laughs> yeah. masculinity what it does to women how it objectifies all these type of things mm-hmm. yet it seems within our popular culture entertainment these are the best-selling are drinking novels yeah. it mm-hmm. in
2: literally absolutely absolutely yeah
0: and and it's interesting uh there's like one thing i want to point out here like we talked about like kind of what introduced uh you eric first to like the the vampire culture was like that dungeons and dragons um curse of strahd uh ravenloft stuff um there there's a role-playing games kind of similar to um dungeons and and dragons which um is a lot more insidious, I would say, uh, because it's called Vampire: The Masquerade, and essentially you uh, play this vampire character, and and it, it's it's interesting, like how um, hyper sexualized, you know, violent, like seduction, like exists, and, and this is like a very popular game that people are. Wanting to, and I'm not saying that these people are like biting people or or, or, any, or anything like that, but they're for entertainment, playing a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you know that's that violent. Um, and then there was yeah. even like a, a New York Times article that just came out like in the last couple weeks talking about our cultural fascination with cannibalism. Yeah. You know, why is a character like Hannibal Lecter? so oh, that is true popular why TG. uh there there's all these shows out there that are essentially um like almost like romanticizing mm-hmm. cannibalism um there's this uh and i can't remember the actor's name but there's this kind of b-list actor out there right now who got shunned from hollywood um in the last six months after you know being like a rising star because it came out that he was um, sharing these violent sexual fantasies that he was having like where he would tell like his girlfriend I want to basically like do a surgical procedure you know where a couple of your ribs are removed because you don't actually need them and wouldn't it be awesome to like barbecue them and, <sighs> and like all this stuff and so like it, it, I think it's-, it's
2: time to break up <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say if there was a red flag ever <laughs> That would be it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, or even like, um, Megan Fox is one of the most prominent, or maybe was at one time, you know, one of the more prominent actresses, and she's dating, um, Machine Gun, Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly, who's uh, a popular rock and roll musician today, uh, and there was this uh, news article that I found on CNN where they talk about how, as a bonding ritual that they have with each other, they drink a small amount of each other's blood on on the daily.
2: Ugh, creepy. It, wow. It's
0: just so weird. This like parallel thing in our culture, where mm-hmm. you know, we're, like you were saying, like we're we're against rape culture and we're against violence against women but then some of the most violent and perverse uh and demented awful things that are out there um are glorified and and celebrated in in entertainment. Today. Well
2: yeah, when you talk about like Twilight and True Blood and a lot of the different vampire shows their target and majority audience is women.
0: And teenage women. And teenage in, women. in particular. Yeah. And it's... And then sadly, the 40-year-old women are yeah. reading it and fascinated mm-hmm. with the the literature, yes. which is probably the, another problem. All the bodice
2: <laughs> ripper novels. Yeah.
0: In, in, in and of itself. Yes. But Eric, I think you make like an interesting point that this is something culturally that like women are, are probably more obsessed
1: with. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I, I can't really speak to that as like fact I just mm-hmm. noticed that there are themes that I feel like I'm confused why we seem to abhor them in one way in our culture mm-hmm. but we fantasize about them in another and I'm and I I'm very not trying to draw a correlation that the that we are, you know, that rape is some fantasy. You know, Mm -hmm. there's all these weird things that get into this conversation. But you can't deny that there is a level of violence and a level of Mm -hmm. uh, abuse and dominance Mm -hmm. that is in the ethos of the mythos, you know, (laughs) that is at play that people are, are are drawn to certain aspects of it. And yes. I think that says a lot about human nature, about the condition of the soul and people right now, men and women, mm-hmm. what's going on in our culture. Well, not just our culture, because you've established mm-hmm. it's, it's a long standing thing that mm-hmm. goes through. This is the part where we, as, um, Christian intellectuals, Christians that are, are really examining the times we live in. We want to dig into the why behind a lot of the what, mm-hmm. and that's part of this conversation. Where's the meaning in our popular culture fascinations mm-hmm. with different things? It's not a judgment of all these things as yeah. bad, but it is picking apart different things to say, what's that about?
2: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think it, it is really interesting because you can write these books and produce these movies where a woman can be glamored or charmed by this vampire who drinks her blood and you know, whatever else. And it's this sexy thing. But if I write a novel about a dude that roofies a chick's drink and then takes advantage of her, that's not sexy. It's yeah. essentially the same thing. Yeah, But for some reason, and I was thinking about this personally, like what what really fascinated me with the whole vampire thing was I, I think down at the core of it, it would be that basic idea that you can live an eternal life, you're immortal, you can do whatever you want, there's no restrictions, there's really no law because you're immortal, no one can stop you, and you can do what you want and be anything you want to be, and there's no repercussions. Hmm. And I think, to me, that's kind of what boils down the fascination. And there are different things beyond that. But, I mean, I think it's just that idea of ultimate power and immortality. So, essentially, becoming God. Idolatry. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, like, the disastrous consequences of all those things in one Mm -hmm. um have either of you heard of like the richardson family murders Mm -hmm. before so this was 2006 in alberta in canada um and the murders were so this is a murder of a family and it was committed by the family's 12 year old daughter Mm -hmm. jasmine richardson and speaking of every like father's worst nightmare and her 23 year old boyfriend uh, jeremy steinke um now going by the name jackson may um so they murdered uh they had three counts of first degree murder because she was a minor uh she only got um 10 years in prison for this uh so 2006 um the bodies of Mark Richardson, who is 42, his wife Deborah, were found in the basement of their home, as well as the the body of their uh, son was discovered upstairs. Um, and then absent from the home was the couple's 12 year old daughter. Uh, what what's interesting? Um, so they they were eventually caught, and her, the daughter and her boyfriend as well as a friend of theirs who ended up being charged as an accessory, were were caught. And the motive, as far as what they could determine, was the parents had grounded Jasmine uh, for dating Jeremy due to the, the age discrepancy yeah. uh-huh. between the two. And shortly after this, it, it, it came out that the boyfriend convinced her to murder her parents. And according to friends of Steinke, um, he told them that he was a 300 year old vampire, that he liked the taste of blood, and as a fashion accessory, he always wore a small vial containing blood around his neck. He basically seduced this young girl. Charmed her, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I don't think that that was like magical in any way. I think that was you know abusive, you Whole know, manipulation host to issues. Yep, and in carrying on this like fantasy of him being a, a vampire, uh, convinced her to you know murder Invite her parents him in. so that they could run away together and have have their life together, and. It's it's just like terrifying oh, it's to me to think of like all of those things horrible. Anna that you just described like wrapped up in, in one story mm-hmm. of like the manipulation essentially of, yeah. a, of a young of a young girl
2: mm-hmm. absolutely oh so
0: it's. It's scary. Um, I, I think it's interesting that you brought up like that idolatry and immortality and power because mm. Eric pointed out this uh, Bible verse to me. So this is taken from 1 Timothy six sixteen, and it says, speaking of God, he alone possesses immortality and lives in unapproachable light whom no human has ever seen or is able to see to him be honor and glory and eternal power. Amen.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you know that gets to the idea of um, the longing, like you were saying, this like human desire to have the um, gifts that God gives without God. Yeah, you know the idea of this, like I, I mean, who doesn't? Have enjoyment in, in thinking through some of the fantasy of oh, yeah. immortality, yeah forever. If I could live forever. 500
2: years and yeah. I could be wealthy and have my own island and, you know, I mean, yeah. you go all these crazy places because it's limitless.
1: In your mind, and the old testament saints got that. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Methuselah and all, all these, thank you, mm-hmm. all these stories of like, wow, we sit and think, What would it be like if I could live 500 years? What mm-hmm. could I do? What could I accomplish? Yeah, imagine all the learning and the mm-hmm. skill of something you could put into. So, I think there's some really profound, meaningful thoughts about immortality that, that God has placed within all of us. But when the fallen part of us starts fantasizing about how can I have those gifts of God without God, mm-hmm. or what happens when we have tragic things happen in our lives, deep suffering, deep, you know, example, you know, like the the wife's killed and then, you know, I'm doing all this stuff for God and, and this is what happens in my life. This idea of like, what's the point of being good if bad things happen? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to turn away from that. And so I think there's just this human nature thing that that the enemy uses that can be found in some of this popular culture narrative that gives mm. us a place to kind of like um, fantasize role play out, embody these themes without God, and maybe even channel our own pain our own darkness our own uh anger, our own brokenness into as kind of like I can take this on mm-hmm. as my identity of of lashing out against these things that I've had no power over. Mm-hmm. But now I have power in them. I'm immortal. I'm I'm dark and invisible i'm mm-hmm. i'm i can escape things so i think there's yes. a lot of psychology that goes into this for some people and that's this this thread mm-hmm. where we'll kind of go towards the end here this idea of like there's this legitimate interesting fascinating part that can be entertaining and then there's also this mm-hmm. road that depending on the person can become a doorway kind of like that idea you can't let the vampire and he can't get in unless you let him in, Mm -hmm. where it can become a doorway into your own psychology, your own spiritual darkness, and profoundly become something gets really dark all the way to you assume an identity that then leads to murder. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have those stories in our culture for a reason. Yeah, Broken people take things and run with it and can't separate reality from fiction Yeah it's
0: it's interesting um, like those are some fascinating insights I, I kind of got like two different responses to that um, Tolkien uh, was writing about uh, you know his fictional world and middle earth and and he was drawing on all of these like traditions of Christianity and and um, you know ancient um, British history and, and like building that mythology and the elves were. A race that that lived f- forever but what was interesting um and i think it was called the gift of a where men uh or mankind um it was a gift for die. them to die yeah like that that's that's something like I, th- I think that and and where i'm going with that example like into this idea of forging our own identity uh is, like, that's that's idolatry, and that's, like, wanting to make ourselves God mm-hmm. in some way. That's setting ourselves up in opposition to God, and I find it, then, ironic how much the vampire legend has been turned into, like, this, like, Chris- Christianity versus the Mm -hmm. vampire uh, because all all three of us here at this table believe that the the one and only God is God, the father whose son, you know, Jesus Christ uh, came into the world and the Holy spirit now lives with, you know, within all of us in that, in that Holy Trinity. But um, it's essentially that, that worship and indulgence in every like base created thing, which I think like plays into Romans chapter one you know, where the Apostle Paul's talking about, like, God's wrath on unrighteousness, uh, where, starting in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then it goes through this whole list of this downward cycle of descriptions of all of the evil that mankind can invent from this idolatry and this elevation of created things into the place of God and what is the creative thing or that created thing that we're so prone to worship like often it's ourselves and, and our, our our dark desires and and I think that there's these interesting things uh where like so many like aspects of like the vampire that are out there of like oh wouldn't it be cool to Stay up all night like and party in these like dark, nasty clubs, <laughs> you know, basically with uh electronica music <laughs> blasting in the background and everyone's in these like sexy leather outfits and you know, where it's it's a never-ending party where I can debauch every possible desire mm-hmm. that I can have to excess. Mm-hmm. And it can be forever because uh, I, I'm immortal mm-hmm. F- forever young you know I, I, I think that like in essence like the the vampire or or the bad boy that that young women are often in many cases attracted to it's this like sexiness of
1: rebellion mm-hmm. against God yeah. in, in every way-hmm and I think the best of our horror story genre, the best of our monster mythos, the best of our mythology tales is when we take these truths that are true about eternal things, about human nature, about the dangers uh, in interpersonal world, the real evils that are in the world, when we take all that stuff and we create stories that embody it and teach us something uh, can be profound. I mean, I think that's why Mm there are novels that have, you know, the test of time. Yeah, The idea that, you know, Jesus saying things like, hey the devil's been a murderer from the beginning mm-hmm. james saying he's like a lion that is always on the prowl peter always on the prowl to devour that um, this idea that there's darkness out there that is preying upon you looking to get you is is really dangerous and that you do want to ward off again these are you know very true things Mm -hmm. that the best of our art can embody and help us understand these themes that then apply to not only entertainment but also they inform our sense of what is reality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and good art does that yeah it's when we start flipping the script and we make every bad guy the good guy we we turn the devil into an angel Mm -hmm. where our culture is going we're losing this gift that the best of stories and the best of myths have have understood and instead of informing us and kind of enculturating a truthful worldview that we can then understand the reality as it is we're confused, we're dark, mm-hmm. we're calling creation creator, we're, mm-hmm. we're giving in to the lusts and we're abusing ourselves, and and all of those things become, and that's the part where this whole series, this kind of idea, the things that make me passionate about getting back to telling stories that can actually grab people's interest, um, they can be passionate about and and, and and love, mm-hmm. but they come away better humans yes from thinking about the bigger themes yes. and not being degraded and debauched and deceived and destroyed by it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's crazy how like real like these things are
0: too it, like i think of like going back to that um you know communion you know scene you know and and this is something like where you know, Jesus says to his, like, apostles, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you know, you have yeah. nothing to do, you know, you'll have okay. nothing to do with me. And okay. and what Christians do around the world every Sunday is they take communion or in Catholic um, or Orthodox traditions participate in the Eucharist, where, um, like in some of those traditions, they actually believe the the bread and the wine is transformed into the body and blood mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Um, what, what what do you think? Like <laughs> communion, like has to do, you, you know, this
1: with so with odd. all of this. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, come on who who didn't? I don't know. Maybe some people are raised in the church and they don't really. Sometimes they're doing things and they don't really think about how strange it is. Yeah, but I wasn't in that case. And I come into the church and and your sin. <laughs> Central or one of your central um, events that everybody's supposed to come to a table <laughs> and do is drink blood and eat flesh. I mean, my fantasy sci-fi geek side of me is like, I'm all in. This is it, man. I mean, this well, and is and it's my funny because the,
0: the ancient Romans would actually accuse yeah. the mm-hmm. Christians of being cannibals. Yeah, yeah. you know, because like they they didn't understand that that it, it was bread and wine yeah yeah you know they were just hearing these stories of Mm -hmm. christians meeting in catacombs (laughs) yes (laughs) you know to to do these things but it's kind of like it goes back to like you wonder if a lot of this blood drinking is because it's always the blood of other humans yeah you know essentially and you wonder like you know god commands us that you know we are to remember his death and resurrection by eating this bread and drinking this wine, which, which uh, uh, commemorates his body broken for us, his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of Mm -hmm. our sins. Um, And instead there's this cultural fascination with in rebellion against that drinking the blood of other humans in this insatiable lust Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and if, rebellion. I think what Anna was saying about how these a lot of this story narrative embodies this idea of I'm god. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have this antithesis of the truth where I'm going to partake of your blood to make me stronger and me, Mm -hmm. it's, it's towards myself
2: in the, you know, the stories, that's what sustains them. That's how they survive. That's how they spread. Like that's, how they do things, and it is absolutely taking that into your hands, even and, uh, to the
1: extent. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, of you dying, or 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 mm-hmm. you, you know, you are something for me to consume for myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas the communion side is, we're brought up into the life of God. My life will be in you, Jesus said. Mm-hmm. You're a partaker of my life. There's this blessing that comes from the partaking. There's a bringing up the lower into the higher. Mm -hmm. There's this gift of eternal life. There's blessing. It's the antithesis of that though. In the dark world, Mm -hmm. you are the center. I consume you for my own needs. Mm -hmm. I prey upon you. Um, You are harmed by me. I take something from you. The gift of mortality is taken from you, and now you must forever live in an undead state.
0: And it's interesting because there's even like I think back to um, Bram Stoker's Dracula again, where you're killed if the vampire just drinks your blood, you know. But there's this scene where Dracula's with um, Mina Harker now, and he um, cuts his skin after consuming her blood, and. Asks her to drink from him Hmm. at that point, and Mm -hmm. so there's this kind of I've sinned and harmed you, join me in this sin, and we can Mm -hmm. live together forever outside the grace of God. Yes, yeah, at at that point, as an enemy to God, Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: it's the It's the embodiment of the antichrist ethos—the idea Mm -hmm. that there's a alternative. Yes, and that's where you know a lot of this is, uh, from one level, very blasphemous. Mm -hmm. If you really think about it, it's like we're going to provide you a full means of immortality, a new Eucharist, Mm -hmm. a you know all of the things without the God of the universe,
0: Mm -hmm. and you don't have to obey God's law. Anything you (laughs) can indulge every Mm -hmm. lust and yeah, yeah
1: fantasy you have.
0: I think it'd be appropriate to kind of close like the episode with this. uh, So you found this other verse, um, Pastor Eric, in Romans 7, you know, 14 through 25, where it says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate I do. What I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living within me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? from this body that is subject to death thanks be to god who delivers me through jesus christ our lord it's so interesting how like paul like brings out that tension that every human being you know wrestles with with that with that sin you know condition mm-hmm. and and we we are in this battle and this fight for our very soul mm-hmm. and the one who can rescue us from being you know, this wretched man or this wretched woman is Jesus Christ, our 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 Lord
1: and, and Savior. And it's so fascinating that Jesus embodied that truth in in this moment where he's talking to the woman of the well. And he's saying, "Listen, everybody's thirsty." Everybody's coming to water, and everybody's drinking and drinking, and they're never fulfilled. It's that, I need more blood. I need more Mm. water. There's something about the human condition that you're always consuming, always consuming. But I can give you a drink of something that once you drink it, you will never thirst again. Again, that's playing on this deep, human, God-created longing that these stories pick at and 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 play around and fantasize and and create other narratives about but actually speak to a very real mm-hmm. battle that's going on with us there is dark things within us that mm-hmm. only Christ can conquer there is a nature within us that comes out in times at night mm-hmm. where we don't want it to come out and it can do destructive things there is something within us that needs to be killed that only God can kill, and there is a thirst that's within us that only God can quench. And all of those themes, to the most inquisitive and most nerdy person, can actually follow to the realities Mm -hmm. and find in the Christian story, in the Christian gospel, the actual realities to those human things that we're telling stories about.
0: Didn't you uh name the church that you planted after that story? Absolutely. Uh, Jacob's, Jacob's well. well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that that is where life and immortality and freedom, you know, essentially is found and everything everything else out there
1: leads to death. And I would say in closing that if you are listening and you find yourself not not only interested or fascinated or entertained about a lot of these type of things we've talked about but you realize that there's some place within you that that theme of darkness and longing for immortality or unquenchable lust if you're wrestling with that i invite you to follow the trail of those themes to the Scripture, and then from the Scripture to Christ. Because what you're really after is something greater that God's pulling upon your heart. These stories He's using to actually draw you to truth and to Himself, and can become a great tool to lead you towards more light. And that can be a hopeful ending. The opposite is true as well. You can follow a broken place in you a wounded and abused a um unholy vein as it were that can lead you to greater darkness and jesus said that in one of his parables he said listen people have light or dark within them and he said if the darkness within you uh is there it can be it can lead to greater darkness and so we need to be careful that when we're consuming these monster stories or these myths, that the real condition of our hearts um, we do business with, Hmm. that we really look inside. We ask the big questions of eternity and of time. Where do these things lead us? And I think if we do that, these tools can be transformational in our lives and helpful and celebrated.
0: Hmm. That's really good. We like appreciate that all of you who have are still listening to this podcast, you know that you've listened to our various musings on myth, uh, monsters, and meaning. Um, this podcast series is, is released on um Eric's uh, podcast uh, crowbar massage. Um, do you want to take a moment and just kind of like talk to our listeners about some of the other themes that you explore on on your podcast?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am interested in truth and in engaging people with stories that have truth within them. And so I, in my podcast, explore a lot of myths and stories and topics that I think are accessible to anybody and can be thoughtful and helpful and meaningful conversations that lead people to to greater light and greater truth. I most absolutely feel that truth is most fully realized in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I think people need Mm on-ramps. And I think they need to start thinking about good things and truthful things and wrestling with big questions. And I think Christians should be at the forefront of popular culture and historical uh, stories and provide people lots of different ways to get on that highway. And so I just think my podcasts are one way of doing that. I think this podcast is an example, and many others that yeah. we're a part of. Well, even like, um,
0: you know, and speaking of that, you know, Christians being a part of getting upstream and redeeming a lot of these things. My my podcast project that uh, listeners can also check out is called the Taking Background Podcast, where I look with my uh, co-host Tommy to uh, equip men to be leaders in their life. Um, and the biggest part of that is self-control and discipline, uh, which is so opposite of everything that we did just described, mm-hmm. you know, in, t- in talking about uh, vampires and their unbridled thirst for blood. And um, and so my, my hope in that podcast project is to like equip men to uh, be self-ruled men who can then go out and lead their family well and be a leader in their community. Um, and also Anna's joined us uh, in this episode and her and I, uh, speaking of like Thank stories you. and stuff, we have another fun podcast project where we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and telling stories you know through uh, our taglines we, we love to tell uh, the oral history of stories uh, long past through epic games of, of D&D <laughs> and if if you're, if you're interested in topics like this that might be a fun you know, thing for you to listen to yes. as well and um, you can
2: listen with your kids which is something I've wanted for so long is something appropriate for my kids to be able to listen to and enjoy together
0: yeah, so thank you for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed this. Uh, where are uh, Eric? Where are we planning on going with uh, some future episodes on the rest of this project?
1: We're going to look at um, the idea of you know probably transhuman issues, the idea of kind of immortality, but maybe through a sci-fi or or Frankenstein or uh, you know the idea of you know some of the popular culture and science is going on right now playing
0: God in a different maybe instead of like seeking becoming God you know through rejecting him more like playing God through taking on that creator role that that (laughs) belongs to him Yeah yeah no i'm excited for some of these future projects so please uh just follow uh the crowbar massage podcast uh like subscribe uh you can also like and subscribe to some of the other podcasts that we mentioned and we hope that you enjoyed this and you have been blessed by this content